This is going to be a little cheesy. If you've already looked at the title of the message, you realize I invented a new term today. I'm allowed to do that as a pastor. You know, Kyle understands this. We're allowed to make up words if we need to. The term I invented is God focal. Okay? The title of today's message is Putting on Your God Focals. So I realize this is a little cheesy for some of you. You're going to roll your eyes. Just deal with it, all right? Just deal with it. I get one Sunday a year to do this, so we're going to do this this morning. But I'm giving you a pair of, I'm using air quotes if you're listening to our podcast, of God focals. They're pretend glasses, but I'm hoping that even the silliness of this makes a point for you. The, you know, I really want you to see this. In order for you to get where, you're, where God wants you to go, you're going to have to start seeing things through different lenses, Okay? In order for you to get from here to wherever it is God has for you next, you're going to have to learn to trade the way you see things through your own lens. And we all have a lens we see life through. You may not realize this, but you see life through a certain lens. But for you to really be able to see things the way God does, you have to be willing to exchange your lens for God's lens. So I want to send you home with a cheap illustration as a reminder for you that whenever you start getting mired down and, 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 and trapped and paralyzed by looking at your budget or your health or your love life or your job or your dreams through the you lens, to take that lens off and put on and look at it the way that God does and exchange your vision for his vision. We're going to be in the Old Testament today in the book of Judges, though the Bible is filled with stories about people who God had something he wanted them to see, a picture he wanted them to get of a more bright, optimistic future, but they just couldn't see it. They didn't get it. They thought they were being delusional. It seemed so illogical. And we'll refer to some of those stories this morning. But we're going to look at one very uh, detailed story in the Old Testament in the book of Judges. Okay, it's a uh, it's, it's right, it's like the seventh book in, I think, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Yeah, seventh book in. Chapter 6, how many of you have ever read Judges before? (laughs) If you're just, yeah, (laughs) if you're just getting started reading your Bible, you can dig into Judges, but I maybe wouldn't recommend starting there. There's some, (laughs) there's some graphic stories in there, and I'm not ashamed or embarrassed of them, but some of them are, you're like, really, this is in the Bible? A a bear mauled how many kids? Uh, You know, uh, There's all this, it's a lot of pillaging and plundering and it's gory and graphic. It's not the one they've made the motion picture out of yet. But really the summary of the book of Judges is this. It's how God preserved Israel while most of them were being disobedient. It's a story of how God, instead of wiping them all out because they turned their back on him, he usually was able to find at least one good apple in the barrel. He was able to find one person or a pair of people that he would empower and he would raise that person up to lead Israel for a short window of time to get them out of the mess that they were in and try and hit the reset button. And the reason he needed a lot of judges is because after every reset button, you know what they did? They went right back to disobeying God and exchanging him for other gods again. So uh, there's some famous judges that came out of the book. The name of the people he raised up, we call them judges. So these people that he picked out to use were judges. You might know uh, Deborah and Barak were two of the judges he used. Maybe some of you heard of them. Uh, there's another famous one. Maybe How many of you have heard of Samson? Delilah. Now, Delilah was not the judge, okay? Samson, you know, long flowing, you know, imagine me with long flowing locks and very strong guy. Um, 96 verses out of Judges is devoted to Samson. He was one of the judges that God used to help lead Israel in a time of them uh, being under a lot of persecution. There's only one other judge that there's more verses written about him in Judges than Samson. Anybody know who it was? Gideon. Okay, good guess because we're talking about today. Good job. Um, But yeah, Gideon. There's 100 verses written about Gideon. So we added verses later on. That doesn't necessarily mean, you know, more or less than other ones. But I just want you to understand a big chunk of the book. uh, More of Judges is devoted to his story than anybody else's. Doesn't mean he's more important or less important than anyone else. But there's a lot in there about Gideon. So we're going to look at a little bit of his story. It's a long story that covers several chapters. And I know some of you would get panicked. You'd miss your lunch reservations. We're not going to go there this morning. But I think there's something in here we can see. Really what it is, is the lesson about God had an optimistic picture for Gideon's future that God was super excited about. God saw it very clearly. And he shows up in Gideon's life at a time where Gideon was not ready to see that picture. And when God's rolling out this picture to Gideon, 
Gideon has a hard time seeing it because, you see, Gideon was looking through his Gideon lens. He saw everything that he wasn't. He saw his shortcomings. He had some doubts. He had some fears. He was disillusioned. He loved God. I'll show you how we know that from Scripture. He loved God with all his heart. Maybe the only person in Israel at that time who did. But he had a hard time seeing it. And this is a story about how God became like his spiritual ophthalmologist. And he said, I need to fix you with a new prescription. Gideon, I want to help you develop your vision so that you can start seeing what I see. Because if you're going to get from where you are to where God wants to go, you've got to see things the way God sees them. If you keep looking through your own lens, you'll be intimidated, you'll be afraid, you'll think you're being delusional, you won't have faith, you'll get trapped and paralyzed, you'll get stuck doing the same old, same old, trying the same things over and over and over again with no different results. So I hope you're going after something in 2017. I hope you've spent some time this year dreaming about what this year can look like for you, whether it's in your physical health or your love life, or with your family, your career, career goals, your budget, your, your time in ministry and giving back to the church and to the community, whatever that might be for you. But I want you to know what stands between here and there is your ability to put on a God lens, put on your God focus and see things the way that he does. So this morning, I want to kind of come alongside you, be your spiritual ophthalmologist. I'm not real good with an eye chart, but I want to come alongside you today and see if I can help us have a little bit of an eye exam, the same thing that Gideon had, and see if we can all go out of here with a different prescription, okay? Sound good? Because you know you have physical senses, right? Sight, smell, taste, hearing, touch. You know that? This is not new information to you, right? You know this? Yes, okay. Do you know you have spiritual senses too? Pastor, this sounds a little new agey. It's not. What I mean is this. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. Have you ever felt like God was speaking to you? Did it sound with your, did you hear it in your physical ears though? Maybe, probably not. I've never heard God speak audibly. But yet I knew at times, or I thought it was pretty sure at times that God was speaking to me. So I was hearing him. So I must have some ability to hear spiritually. It just doesn't operate the same way my physical ears does. It might not be a sound wave that goes into this ear and gives my brain a message. But just like your physical senses can be developed over years, so can your spiritual senses. Have you ever felt the presence of God or have you ever felt touched by God? Your heart was touched by God. Have anybody ever felt that? Some of you maybe haven't, some of you have. Does it, is it the same sensation as when your finger touches a, like a cold piece of steel? No, it's, it's, it's different. You were touched, you felt it, but the way that it resonated with you was different than if you actually took your physical senses and put them to use. You have a spiritual sense to feel things spiritually. To hear things spiritually. Our senses help us in the real world that we're in. Our physical senses do. And they operate all the time. In fact, if you... This is not my notes, but maybe I would say this because it ties in with fasting. We're in the second week of our fast. If you haven't started yet, you're welcome to jump in. We're, we're giving up something in our life that has meaning to us to go after God and know Him in a deeper way. So whether that's something in your diet, whether it's social media, whatever it is, we're going after this for 21 days. This is our second week. What's interesting is if you watch someone really try and listen to something carefully, like it's a piece of music or they're trying to hear something, you know what they do sometimes? They close their eyes. They're shutting down one of their senses to heighten another one. Right? Do you understand that when you shut down your sense of taste for a little while, it allows you to open up some of your other senses? Allows you to focus in on God. Sometimes we have to do that. And a great thing about a fast is you're taming, because most of our life is built around our stomachs anyway. We plan our day around it. We plan our moods around it. Well, we don't always plan our moods. That could get me in big trouble at home. I'm not, I would not suggest that you plan your moods out, okay? But our moods are affected by it. Our temperament's affected by food. And for this season, you're saying, you know, for those of us that are fasting a dietary thing, we're saying we're going we're gonna to diminish the influence that taste has in our life so I can hear God more clearly and see him more clearly. This morning, I just want to hone in on one of those senses. I want to hone on your ability to see things spiritually. I want you to be able to start seeing what God sees. I'm not trying to be mystical it takes practice. It's not, there's not a one-size-all-fits solution for it. But I'm going to give you some simple things this morning that Gideon shows us. Because Gideon didn't know how to do this real well either. But in one short conversation with God, he got better. So maybe in one short 20-minute conversation with us this morning, you can walk out of here feeling like I'm at least a little more confident that I can see things the way God does a little more clearly than before I came to Echo this morning. So let's read the passage. The big idea I'm going after today is this. Big idea. Is, and I'm doing it backwards. I realize I usually do the scripture first and the big idea. It's okay. We're being spontaneous today. It's about as spontaneous as your pastor gets. Okay? You've already got glasses and now the big idea is coming first. Okay, so we're way out there. New Year's resolution was to be more sp- spontaneous. So I planned to be more spontaneous. Some of you will get that later. 
The big idea is that advancing my spiritual vision requires exchanging my eyes for God's eyes because he sees things more clearly than I do. Now you have to, if Christianity is new to you, or if you're here just checking out what we're about today, I realize I'm making a colossal assumption in this big idea. I'm making a colossal assumption that you agree that God exists and that he sees things more clearly than I do. I'm not asking you to make that assumption this morning. I'm just, for purposes of explaining it, just understand that the God that I believe in, the one true God, is omnipotent. He, see, he sees everything. He's um, omniscient. He knows everything. And I operate with the belief, because the Bible tells me, that God sees, even time isn't a factor to God. He sees everything in one tense, which is hard for my mind to understand. So that goes underneath this assumption. So I'm just asking you, I welcome you being skeptical. I welcome you looking into this. Just I'm being honest about one of the assumptions that I'm making. I just invite you to think along with us this morning and consider what the Bible has to say. So here we go. Judges chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. Then we'll skip down to 25 through 26. Then we'll put it in the fifth gear. We're going to go through this this morning together for a few minutes. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. I'm going to stop there just for a second to say this. There's a lot more in this story we won't talk about today that you can go back and dig out this week. One of the things that you might want to go back and look at is at the beginning of the story, it says an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Later on, we find out that that being is no longer referred to as the angel of the Lord. It's referred to as the Lord. So what happened in Gideon's perception of who this was talking to him that changed his mind from thinking this is a messenger sent from God to this is part of the Godhead himself. So it's a whole... I've heard lots of messages on that. I'm not going to go down that road this morning, but it's something for you to dig into. You know, why was there the kind of the character change there? The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And if you read the verses before, you'd see why that's really ironic because Gideon at this time is sitting inside of a hole hole in the ground, threshing wheat so he doesn't get caught by the bad guys. Doesn't really look like a mighty hero. But he, he says, sir, Gideon replies, if the Lord is really with us, why has all this happened to us? Have you ever got, asked God that? God, if you were, I know everybody's telling me you're with me, you'll protect me. But if you were with me, this person wouldn't have died. If you were with me, this person wouldn't have got sick. If you were with me, my finances wouldn't have fallen apart. If you were really with me, why did all this happen? Have you ever wondered that? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, see, character change. Verse 12 was the angel of the Lord. Now who turns to him and talks? The Lord. So something between verse 13 and 14 happened in Gideon's mind that he didn't know, he didn't think this was an angel anymore. He believed he was talking to the Lord himself. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you already have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I love these four words. I am sending you. Isn't that what we do here at the end of every service? We don't dismiss you. We send you. Because you treat life differently when you're sent than if you're just going. When you're sent to the store, you treat it differently than if you just stop off at the store. When you're sent to work, you'll treat that differently than if you just happen to go to work. When you're sent into a conversation on Facebook with somebody, it's different than if you just happen upon a conversation in social media. Your whole perspective changes. Okay? But, the, but Lord Gideon replies, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And there's another part of the story that transpires next, and I just want to skip ahead to one of the action steps that God gives Gideon. Before he goes out and destroys them, here's what he says to do first. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal. So was his dad following God? No. He wasn't only neutral, he had picked a different God to replace the one true God. Pull down his altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole, which is standing beside it. And then in its place, build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar using the fuel of the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. Because many times what's standing between you and me getting where God wants to go is there's something in your life that you've put in God's place that you have to tear down first. You have, to, you have to put it aside in order that you can get after God. We'll go after that in a second. So who are these Midianites, these big bullies? They were Bedouins, okay? They were traveling, marauding groups from the east. They were compassionless, and they were masters of the art of plundering. That's what they were really good at, okay? I don't know if that's any, on any of your LinkedIn pro- profiles. It probably isn't getting you any jobs anywhere. You list plundering and pillaging among your skills. That's not necessarily a hire me, you know, part of the equation. But they lived a pretty hard life themselves. 
and whenever they had a chance to live off of the spoils of somebody else, you know, eating food that they didn't have to do the work for, they pillaged as much as they wanted and they left famine behind them. That's the reputation they had. The Bible accurately describes them like grasshoppers in both their number and in their devouring effect. They would descend whenever the crops of the nation would grow and they would ride into town and they would pillage and they would plunder. They would eat all of the food and they would, leave, they would ruin the fields and they would leave famine behind them. And the important part of the story is if you read the beginning of, of Judges, God brought the Midianites against Israel. He actually allowed the, gave the Midianites permission because the Israelites, after repeated warnings, had set up heathen gods. And even after God bailing them out, they'd return for him to a while and then they'd regress back to their old ways and replace heathen gods. So God told them, if you keep doing this, judgment's coming for you. He's being a good dad. He's not saying there's consequences that I'm not going to tell you about. And then you wander into it and wham, you get, you know, you get consequences. He's telling that up front. Here are the rules. If you stay inside them, I will bless you. Here are also the fences. If you go outside the fences, there's famine. Don't be foolish. Nobody picks famine over blessing. But what the Israelites did was, well, I don't really like that fence post. I like that one, but not that one. So we're going to do this and that and the other thing. And they wandered right out to where there was famine and persecution. So God wasn't being cruel. He was being a man of his word. So they went out. Again, picked up new gods, and he raises up the Midianites to come and destroy them. And it was a terrible season. The Midianites would come and steal their crops. They would steal their land. They would slaughter the children. They would steal food out of their mouths. They would take over their property. So there was death, and there was famine, and there was destruction. And it would push the Israelites. If you looked at this on a map, I've actually been here geographically. I was up on top of the hill where Gideon made this sanctuary, and I was looking down. It looks like a, a big basin. And the basin, even today, if you look at it, you just see fertile green farmland the whole way down, like a, like a runway. And that was where God had given the Israelites, because that was where they could prosper and flourish. But when the Midianites came, the only place they could flee was up into the mountains. They'd hide in caves or in the mountains. And they'd wait till the Midianites come home, and they'd bury the dead. And then when they think that they were gone, they'd wander back out and have to do all the work of making the fields, you know, uh, able to grow crops again. They'd plant, and right whenever the crops would grow, the Bible tells us as soon as it would be time to harvest, the Midianites would watch, and they'd return and do it all over again. This cycle continued year after year after year after year. People were dying. Israel was declining, and you could put yourself in Gideon's shoes. His heart is swelled with grief because he remembers what it was like when they were thriving. He hates being bullied by the Midianites, but he's also frustrated with his own people because he knows how they got there. He knows, we'll see in the story, he never turned his heart against God. Why do you think God could say, I am with you? Was there anybody else in Israel that God could have showed up to and said, hey, mighty hero, I'm with you? Maybe not. But we know that Gideon had never turned his back on God because God couldn't have said, I'm with you. So we find Gideon at the beginning of the story inside of a wine press, which is literally a wine press is not where one normally threshed wheat. You would thresh wheat at eye level on the ground because you needed to be where the wind was because you thresh wheat and the bad part of the wheat, the chaff, the part you wouldn't eat, would blow away and you'd be left with the good stuff. But the Bible says that when the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, he was inside of a wine press threshing wheat. A wine press is a big hole. There's one next to uh, the garden tomb where Jesus, where we believe Jesus was buried or one of the places we believe he was, is one of the clues the Bible gives us. A wine press is a big hole that's dug in the ground that you actually step down in. And some of them were that deep that if you were inside of it, no one could see you unless they went right up to the wine press. He literally dug a hole for himself And the Bible says because he was afraid of the Midianites seeing him out there husking wheat and taking it from him, he hid inside of a wine press to beat out enough wheat to make himself something to eat. God finds him in the hole he had dug for himself. Have you ever been there? Aren't you glad that God's gracious enough to come find us in the holes we dug for ourselves and give us a way out? So that's where this conversation takes place. It's an exercise in, in Gideon trying to understand the vision that God has for him. You see, Gideon saw things much differently than God did. Gideon and Israel were stuck. And if you look in this conversation, God says, I'm with you, mighty warrior. I'm with you, mighty hero. I'm sending you with the strength that you have to defeat the Midianites. And Gideon says, nah, I'm not a mighty hero. And he starts listening to God, all the reasons why his Gideon focus, his Gideonness, is getting in the way of the destiny that God has for him. Let's look at these things real quickly because God helps him sharpen his vision. So let me give you three ways to sharpen your spiritual vision this morning. There's probably more than that, but I think in threes, so here we go. First of all, you have to choose the proper lens. If you're going to sharpen your physical vision, you've got to look through the right lens. Have you ever put on someone else's prescription before? Sometimes it gives you like a massive headache, right? 
I remember when I was little, I put on my grandma's bifocals one time, and I, man, it, the whole world looked crazy to me. Those glasses weren't fit for my eyes, but a lens is something you look through to see something else differently. A lens is, in another way of saying it, is, is something placed between you and the object you're trying to see. So if you look through a microscope, it takes something that's very small, makes it bigger so you can see it clearly. If you look through a telescope, you see something far away and it brings it closer to you. Have you ever gone to one of those 3D movies? Okay, if you, it's okay in church to admit you've been to a 3D movie. It's all right. They're fantastic usually. Okay. You put on those crazy glasses and you're like, I want to keep them later. What are you going to use it for? I want to keep my glasses. What are you going to... If you wear those glasses outside of that movie theater, you're in for trouble, okay? But you wear them in the movie theater, it makes you see things differently. You already see life through a lens, and I wish I could spend a lot of time to drill in here because one of the greatest journeys you can make to understanding yourself and others is to figure out what lens they're viewing life through. Sometimes you don't even recognize the lens you view it through. Just to give you a couple examples that are not, some people view everything in life through a political lens. Everything's political. How do you know I see things from a political lens? Well, here's one symptom. I could really go a long time on this. I, I won't this morning because that's not the main point. If you've ever been in a situation where you started developing a friendship or a relationship with somebody and things were just cruising along just fine until you heard their political views and then somewhere in your heart you took a step back from them, that means that you probably see life through partially a political lens. In other words, when you see that person, you see that they are affiliated with a different party than you are. They have a different position than you do. I'm not saying that this is evil. I'm not saying this is horrible. I'm not saying that you need to lay on your face and repent for this. I'm just saying we need to sharpen up our understanding of what lens you see life through. If you've had a relationship that went terrible with your dad, that's part of your lens. If you've been abused in your life, if you've been abused emotionally or physically, you've been taken advantage of in business, you understand that's part of the smudge on the lens of your life. And the next time you move into another situation, it's a lens you look through. If you've had loss in your life, I've, you know, I, I've walked with any numbers of you through different parts of grief in your life, it becomes part of the lens of your life. And it makes it sometimes more difficult to get excited about the future when you've been dealing with loss because you're just, I don't want to get close again because it might rip something out of my heart. It's a lens we look through. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians, now we see through a glass darkly. Have you ever looked through a glass filled with water? You can still see to the other side, but everything's distorted. It says in heaven, we'll see him face to face. There will be no distortion. There'll be no lens. But between now and then, you guys have to understand, we all look at others through a lens. We look at life through a lens you look at yourself through a lens. The way you evaluate how healthy you are, how successful you are, and even how much joy and happiness you have comes through a certain lens. It, some of you look at yourself through the lens of physical health or a certain number of a weight that you're supposed to weigh. And you rob yourself of some of the joy of life because you're not at a certain number. And you make yourself miserable until you get to that number. It's part of the lens of your life. Some of, you know, all kinds of other lenses... Uh, you can look through. You can look through the amount of education you have or you don't have, the amount of intelligence you have or you don't have. You can look through the lens of your own race or your own country of origin or of your own nationality. You can look through where you feel you are in terms of wealth and of possessions, in terms of your own natural abilities. You have a view of yourself, and it may be pretty accurate, but there's also a degree that which our view of ourselves is always distorted from what God views. God doesn't view you through all those lenses. He views you through a different lens, and the lens God views you through is the Christ lens. If you are a born-again Christian, if you have made a decision to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ, to acknowledge the fact that he died on the cross in place of your sins, to acknowledge the fact that he raised from the dead, to surrender your life to him and make him the lord of everything, the Bible tells in 1 Corinthians, then his spirit is fused together with your spirit. And the New Testament talks about a whole lot of things about in Christ and through Christ. So when God looks at you, what he's not seeing, okay, when he looks at you, he's not seeing the thing you messed up in third grade. He's not seeing that major scandal that happened four or five years ago. He's not seeing the record of all your failures. He's not seeing a number on a scale. He's not seeing your fashion. He's seeing Christ. He sees you in Christ. And when he comes to Gideon and says, you can go do all this, it's not because of his Gideonness; it's because of his godliness. He sees him as he is with the God with him. I just want to suggest to you 
You see life through a lens, you see other through a lens, and you see yourself through a lens. And the longer you look through those lens without understanding what's really in there, it will paralyze you and distort your view of what you can and you can't do. Some of us have too high of an opinion of ourselves. That's called pride. Some of us have too low of an opinion of ourselves. That's called false humility. True humility is the lens we want to look through, and that says, I have the exact same view of myself as God does, no higher or no lower. There's even some people in the Bible who thought very highly of their lowliness, like Moses, who writing about himself says, and there was no more humble man on the face of the earth than Moses. He thought very highly of his lowness, and it's a form of pride. Where you and I want to land is that we don't want to think more highly or lowly of ourselves than we should. We want to think of ourselves as God sees us. I will tell you, if you can learn to let God heal the way you view yourself first, it will heal the way you view other people. You'll be able to have grace. You'll be able to have mercy. You'll be able to forgive. And some of us keep looking through the lens of unforgiveness. When you see a person or their name comes into your ears, there's a reaction right away. Because there's still unresolved guilt in your heart. You know you're forgiven someone when you can look at them or hear about them without having the lens or filter of offense every time you see them or you hear of them. It paralyzes you there. And sometimes you don't even recognize those lenses are on. Letter A, and there's no letter B, but letter A, the subpoint here is God sees you differently than you see yourself. He uses the Christ lens. How did God see Gideon? He saw Gideon much differently than Gideon saw himself. God comes up to Gideon, he says, mighty what? Mighty warrior in one translation, what's it say in the New Living? Mighty hero. Warrior, hero. Does this look like a warrior or a hero to you? <laughs> Not really. Here's, here's a guy hiding in a wine press, the youngest in his family from the least influential tribe with a Baal worshiping God, with a Baal worshiper for a father. And God comes and says, mighty hero. And Gideon's thinking, this is one of two things. It's either God speaking to me or I'm completely delusional. Have you ever been there? You have what you think might be a God thought and you know this is either God or I'm just, I ate Taco Bell last night and I'm thinking crazy thoughts today. This idea is so illogical, I can't see it. So that means it's either a God idea or I'm crazy. (laughs) A lot of God's biggest ideas start with that. And if you look through people that God used in the Bible, almost all the ones he called to do something big went through the same process. Look at it. Usually the people who are overeager are still looking through their own lens. The ones who say, that might be God, but man, that is so far out there. I need to just think about this for a second. That's usually how this starts. And if you watch, God doesn't push those people away and diminish them. He sees their heart that they love them. They want to get it. They want some confidence and reassurance. And he comes alongside them and builds their faith so they can say, yes, he really just has to put, help them put on their God focals. And now you actually have literal God focals you can take with you and wear all the time. So when you're at work and someone's annoying, you just put on those glasses from the party place and you will be good to go. I'm being sarcastic. Please don't do this. People will think you're stranger than you already are. It, it, it will happen that way. God sees you differently than you. Gideon didn't love conflict. He's hiding in a pit. And God says, you're going to go be a conqueror. Gideon wanted quiet and peace. And Gideon knew the way to peace was through Jehovah. But the angel appears and says, God's with you. Not necessarily with all of Israel, but God is with you. And from this we know Gideon was a follower of the one true God. His heart was still in the right place. He had not turned to these other idols. He just couldn't see it. His initial reaction wasn't one of anxiety or peace. But he wonders, is this really God? Am I having a, a delusion? God's view of Gideon and Gideon's circumstances was in such stark contrast to Gideon's point of view that he immediately and openly questions God on the contradiction. So what did he do? He had to adjust his focus, point two. So you've got to put on the right lens. You've got to look through your God focals. You've got to start saying things God's way, understanding you and I look through a lens. You see a person that's just called to torment you and make your life miserable, and they're bitter, and they're unforgiving, they're angry, and God sees them as a child of his that is lost and has problems in their heart, and they want you to be an opportunity to help repair those things. We see things differently. God sees your budget, and you see your budget, and you say, God, it's not enough, and then when you get more, you say, it's not enough, and when you get more, you say, it's not enough. Our whole society says it's never enough. You don't have enough shoes. You don't have enough clothes. You don't have enough cars. You don't have enough houses. The houses you have are not new enough. The floors are not nice enough. The curtains need updated, and God looks at what you have and says, I've provided for you, and it's enough. We look at things differently. I can't give because if I give, I'm going to run out over here. And God says, see things my way. When you give them, you put me first. That's my permission then to extend all the blessings to you that I want to have. So you look at giving. You say, God's trying to take from me. God looks at it and says, I'm trying to give for you. You've got to put on your God focals. Put on your God focals. See it his way. Number two, adjust your focus. Okay? 
You can put glasses on that might be the right prescription, but you got to do the focusing. You can put your camera in the right direction, but if it's not focused, you're going to have a blurry fi- picture, like most of the ones in my photo stream, okay? Because my son moves too quick to photograph sometimes. But you got to adjust the focus. What is the main thing you're fixated, fixated on this morning? Where does your mind go when you daydream? When your mind comes back to default, what does it land on? Is it on all the things you wish you had better that you don't? Is it on, oh, if I only got this much of a raise this year, if I only had a random check show up of $8,000, my life would be different. If I only had love in my life the way I really want to, if I only had, whatever that thing is that your mind goes to when you're in default, it's a pretty good indicator that that's a God and an idol in your life. If your mind keeps going back to the thing you feel deprived of, that if you only had it, your life would be complete, that's an Asherah pole in your life. That's the thing that's taken part of your heart that you says, that's the thing that determines how happy I can be. That's the thing that can determine if I really make it. That's the thing. If I can just have X amount of kids, if I can just look a certain way, if I just have love, if I just have a bigger house, if I can finally get my dream job, then and only then will my life be complete. And until then, I'm going to feel incomplete. That is a God that has to be torn down in your life. It doesn't mean that God isn't going to give it back to you anyway, but as long as it takes God's place, it's just the same thing as why the Israelites put up an Asherah pole. That was point three, so I already preached that one. So let's go back to point two. Here's, Here's your focus. This happens to me when I walk away from my notes. My apologies. Letter A. I see my mess. God sees my future. This is where Gideon was stuck. God says, let's go conquer the Midianites. And Gideon's like, God, I need to inform you. You may not have a drop on the details. Let me tell you about how bad the mess is. And he goes on in great detail. We are here. He can't get past his mess. God, I'm here in the bottom of a trench. There is no food for us to eat. If you are really with us, then why has all this happened to us? Why are the Midianites bullying us and pushing us up into the mountains? Where are all the miracles? What about the parting of the Red Sea and all the different things that I wasn't there to see, but my relatives told me about? If God was really with us, you don't see the mess that I'm in, God. No, God saw his mess. Focus. If you put your thumb right up here to your face, it's pretty big. And you're seeing it pretty clearly. And God sees your thumb. And you and God see it. But that's about all you see. Now, when you push it back here, you can still see it. But you get to see all kinds of other stuff. Your focus changes. Some of you are living with your mess right here. You're saying, God, you don't see it. You don't see how awful of a husband you gave to me. You don't see all the people I've been dating online that can't get their act together. You don't see how hard it is at work and how I work really hard and I show up on time and it's got me nowhere. You don't see all the money I've given in the offering and I haven't gotten double for my trouble. You don't see. And God says, I see. I see. He's like, but I see other things too. Well, how can you see other things? And he says, push it back a bit and see. I was doing this. God, a tree came through my roof. Where were you? I I saw Are you okay? I am, but there's a lot of broken stuff over there. We've moved five times in six months. It's costing us money out of our pocket. The insurance company's not being very nice. He said, I see. And then push it back. He's like, is your son sleeping in his own bed now? Well, yeah. Yeah. Was he doing that before this? No. How's that working out for you? Love it. What have you been asking me for the last four years? For us to have another child? Was that possible? No. Did that happen during this season? Yes. Is your son sleeping? Okay, you get it, right? (laughs) That ruined the next three months. I'm sorry. (laughs) Are you praying together as a family now every night? Yes. Were you doing that before? No. Why? Have you tried to wrangle my son? No. You praying together as a family every night? Yes. Do you guys enjoy being together? Yes. Is your house rebuilt? Yes. Is it better than it was? Okay, okay. <laughs> I was right here. Gideon was right here. A lot of you are stuck right here. God has a future for you, but all you want to remind him of is your mess. All you want to remind him of is the mess and the details, and God sees it too. But can you push it back enough to see maybe there's an opportunity beyond all of this for you? Maybe it's not God having it out for you. And sending trees through your living room. We see our mess. God sees our future. The zoom feature. Gideon was so zoomed in on his mess, he couldn't wrap his mind around the panoramic view that God saw for his future. Zooming in on the mess feeds worry. 
Zooming out from the mess starves worry. In the New Testament, there's this cool story about Peter. Peter was a pretty successful fisherman before that he gave up everything to follow Jesus. And we read the story in the Gospels. It's in a couple of the different accounts where Peter and his crew had been out all night fishing. We know he's successful because he wasn't by himself. He had a crew. He had multiple boats. He had a pretty good business going on. But Jesus shows up, and he shows up in the scene of Peter's failure. And Jesus says, what did you catch? He said, we've been out all night catching. We've been all, out all night fishing. We caught nothing. Jesus says, let's go out and have a fish again and throw the nets out on the other side to a different spot. And what does Peter say right away? See, Jesus has a vision for his future. Here's what Peter says, and I love what he says. He says, we've been out all night fishing and have caught nothing. His mess. And you know what he does? But because you say so, we'll go out and we'll try again your way. Just because you failed losing that last 10 pounds the last 10 years. Just because you put in interview after interview after interview and it hasn't worked out. You think God's telling you to give up? Or he's just saying, push that mess back and go keep trying again. But try it my way. Maybe, the way you're, maybe there's a problem in the trying and the effort. God's saying, hey, go take that hill. And I have a plan. You say, no, no thank you. I'm just, I, I know how to do this. And you're taking the hill on your own. Maybe you're not waiting for the instructions. He said, go out to this part and throw your net over here. And you'll catch so many fish that the net will begin to break. I don't want you to miss out on the beauty of a God who says, I don't get hung up on your mess. I'm excited about your future. And maybe God's reminding some of you to start that book again. Put in for that promotion again. Send that email and open up the lines for possible reconciliation again. Try it again God's way. He's not hung up on your failure as a reason for you to not keep pushing towards your future. Letter B, I disqualify myself. God qualifies me. I don't know if your personality is the kind whenever someone gives you a compliment, you want to fire back with all the reasons to reject the compliment. That's a nice outfit. Oh, this old thing? You did a great job today. Oh, I'm so terrible. You're such a good teacher. I really don't ever have coherent words to say about anything. Some of us are just bent with this idea that we just need to constantly remind people of all the reasons we're not qualified to do anything. And whenever somebody puts something out in front of you and says, I really think I could do this, you're like, oh, I really... I really can't. There's a difference between humility and false humility and pity parties. God says, I see you can go, re- go defeat the Midianites. And Gideon says, he was ready with his answers. How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe, and I am the least in my entire family. See, Gideon had a filter that he put on every one of his pictures. You know, you can take pictures and put different filters on them. You can make it look black and white. If you took it in color, you can make things look, you can Photoshop things. You know, the Kardashians are great at this. You know, they go online and take all their pictures and they put them out there and, you know, the the supermodels and stuff, but they get all the blemishes done in Photoshop and make the rest of us feel like we're terrible. You know, you can filter things to make them look the way you want to make them look. And some of us use the filter of disqualifications. Here's, here's the short of all of this. Gideon was right. Actually, something I learned about this story this time through, Gideon's name means, in the original language, it means a heftsman, H-E-F-T-S-man, a hefty man. I always pictured him as this little runt. In the Old Testament, they named people after, you know, some of their physical qualities or attributes. And the other different uh, word was used as fellsman, one who fells trees. So like in the South, we call him a hefty feller, but he was really like, you know, he he was a heftsman and a fellsman. So when you're picturing Gideon, that was, that was fantastic humor. You only get that here. <laughs> One day a week. One day a week. It's my second calling. But um, it's, it's my plan B. It's the comedy trail. So this one's got to work out. Um, <laughs> mine's going to get that cold medicine. Uh, God saw in him there were natural abilities already in him. He was hefty and strong. He could chop things down. He sees in him Gideon. All Gideon could see was all of his disqualifications. God, but the, the thing he had going for him was that he, he was strong. He knew how to take things out. But here's the biggest thing. He was a believer. He believed in God. He loved God. God was with him. And if God's with you and he sends you, he never sends you to fail. Listen to me. If God's sending you after whatever pursuit you have, if he's sending you, if you're hearing from him, if he's sending you to plant a church over, if this is not just some crazy idea, he's sending you to plant a church at Seven Oaks, he's not sending you to fail. He's sending you to win. When some of you came here to help Echo get started, he didn't send you to fail, he sent you to win. When he's sending you to work and you feel like God's got something in store for you, he's sending you to win. If God can go with you, 
He's not sending you to fail. Sometimes we go after our own thing and ask God to follow along behind us. There's no guarantees on that. It's one thing for God to say, climb up on that tree and go out on that limb and I'll be with you. But what most of us do is we see a tree we like, we climb up on it, we go out the limb and ask God to rescue us. Big difference. Gideon heard from God about where we we're supposed to go, but he kept emphasizing his Gideonness. Here's everything I'm not. Here's all my just. Some of you are ready to step up into ministry. You're just scared. People like Solomon here. You know, God's blessed him with the promotion, but he was honest. I'm just, I'm scared. It's the unknown. That's part of what comes. You got to give up to go up. That's what happens sometimes. You got to give up your comfort to advance. You got to give up some of your security sometimes to advance. You got to give up pride. You got to give up grudges. You got to give up bitterness. You got to let petty things go. So that you can advance. But if God is sending you, he'll go with you. Gideon emphasized his Gideonness, and that caused him to be paralyzed. God emphasized Gideon's godliness, and that was what was supposed to, to send him forward to thrive. So don't emphasize your Philness or your Brianness or your Stuartness. You and I can come up with enough reasons to convince ourselves we shouldn't go where God's asking us to go. Why don't you see what he sees and put on the God focus and say, does it, what does God see in me? Am I following him? Am I his child? Have I been saved through Jesus Christ? Am I his beloved? Am I heir to the promises of God? Then if so, and God is sending me, then I'm going to go because I'm going to win. Amen? Amen? Okay. All right. Just making sure. Let her see. I say I can't and you wouldn't. God says you can and I will. He says, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. The Lord said to him, I'll be with you and you'll destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon didn't lack confidence in God. He lacked confidence in himself. And God's confidence in Gideon was based on the fact that he knew the Lord's presence would go with him. If God will, then you can. If God won't, then you shouldn't. You hear me? If God will, then you can. If God won't, then you shouldn't. Your pathway to financial blessing is not cheating on your taxes. It's not making sales unethically and disingenuously. It's not withholding from people money that is due to them. It's not taking that raise he gave you and putting it, investing in lottery tickets. If God can't go with you on this journey you want to go after, you probably shouldn't go. But if God is sending you, and God can smile upon it, and God can bless it, then go with the Lord. We're always the ones to say, I can't do it. God would never help me, but God says, I can. You can, and I will. Number three, point your eyes in the right direction. Got to put on the right lens, adjust your focus, but you got to look at the right thing. You can take really nice pictures of things you really shouldn't be taking pictures of. You can have the right lens and the right focus and you can aim that thing at the wrong thing and have an album of stuff that's not moving you in the direction God wants you to go. He says, first thing you need to do, Gideon, is before you go rid the Midianites, you've got to pull down your father's altar and cut down the Asherah pole. An Asherah pole were these big, tall, wooden carved things that the Israelites built and they put them next to their altars to Baal. Asherah was a different god. And what they would do is they would worship there they would go, that whenever they had a win or a big something they wanted to celebrate, they would make an offering to the Asherah pole to please that particular God. Kind of crazy thinking. Um, but really what those things represented was the things in their heart they wanted to please the most. The things in their heart they wanted to turn to that they put the most confidence in. The things that occupied God's space that only God wanted to have in their life. These are the things that were there. And like I said a few minutes ago, and I want to say it again, just make sure you got it. What are the things in your heart that you don't have, that you secretly feel like if you had them, now life would be complete. That when your mind goes to default, the main thing that you're missing that you keep asking God for, see, he wants to be that. He wants to be that. God, I want more of you, even more than wealth, even more than riches, even more than a better job, even more than this answer or that year. I want more of you. I want to know you more. I want to see you better. I want to hear you more clearly. I want more of your presence in your life. I want to, and then I will be filled with joy. And see, when you're in that place, God can trust us with everything else because they're not going to take over the photo album. But when those things in the photo album, because the idols of our heart, God says, you have to cut that thing down before you can go after me. Well, pastor, I do want a promotion for my job. Does that mean I don't, I don't need to go after a promotion? I should just let that dream die? I do want to be a parent someday. Does it? No, it just means you need to put it in right priority order. You need to be able to find a place in God where if he gives you nothing else, you can still feel a sense of joy and completeness just being in him. 
because you can't have salvation through Jesus and parenthood or Jesus and wealth or Jesus and a good job. It is through Jesus and Jesus alone. And if that's not complete enough, nothing will ever be. He said to Gideon, before you go forward, cut down all these other things and put an altar back in its place. Take those parts in the photo album you were filling with other things and put my picture there. And if it's a good thing you want, it might just be a good thing that's out of the priority order that you need to get in line. But I'm telling you, what's holding some of us back from getting where God wants us to go is we put other things in his place and we've made those things more important than God and we've decided that until I have that, I will live with less joy. Until I have that, I will, live, I will be driven to get that, a certain number in the bank. And as our worship team comes, um, God dealt with me about this particular thing this week. I need to hurry to close here. I'll just give you a personal example. I think it was... Which day did I take? I think it was... Actually, it was Friday morning because I took Chase to school and I dropped him off and I knew that we had some things from the store I needed to get and I was sent to the store. I volunteered, but I was sent with a specific list. And I bought the groceries and I got in the car and out of nowhere... I recognized where my mind was drifting. It was drifting to a certain Microsoft Excel sheet where my budget lives. Nothing wrong with the budget. And I was going to the sub page on my budget sheet with my 2017 or my 2016 goals for the year. And I didn't hit my goals. And some of the places and goals that I had financially, I fell way short of those particular goals. Which really is not a sin. It's nothing terrible. But in my world, this was a catastrophe because, you know, I like hitting goals. And I started having a gripe session with God. Have you ever done this? You're just me, okay. It's just me. So pray for me. And I started going after God, if you would have just done this, or if you would have just done that, or if this promise would have been fulfilled, or that would have happened, then this could have been hit, and that could, And I just started really, I mean, I was detailed. And I found myself getting upset, and my heart's beating faster, and I remember where I was. I had just turned left at the light to get off of Bella Road onto Joppa Road. And as clear as I know, I heard God. And I'm not always confident that I'm hearing God accurately, but I'm pretty sure this was him. I heard this in my, in my spiritual ears. Are you done? <laughs> and I felt about two inches tall. And I don't do this often, but I just out loud in the car, the whole way back to Northwind, 3105 Northwind Road, I started talking out loud to God. God, I am so sorry. I have based my security on an amount that I can have in a savings account. And when I hit that amount two years ago, it wasn't enough. And when, so I made it some more. And then I still felt insecure. And then I put more in there. And then I still felt, And I'm learning that no matter how much money I have in an emergency fund or here and there, if I'm basing all of my security on that, there will never be enough to make me feel secure. I said, God, I want to defeat this. For whatever reason, I base a lot of my success, I base how good of a husband and a dad and a provider I think I am by how much I have put aside in case there's an emergency. That's trusting in me and in money and not in you. See, I'm on this fast, and some of these things are going on, and I don't even recognize them. I'm on this fast now, and I'm just starting to, and I just, God, I am so sorry. I'm going to defeat this this year. I'm going to defeat it right now, but I need your help. I'm just programmed. It's the way I was brought up, and I'm just programmed that way. That's the lens I view life through. And I'm telling you, he just released peace to me, and I repented. And I said, so God, how do I, do, how do I defeat this? He says, radical generosity. I was like, uh, do you have another plan? <laughs> can I do some Hail Marys? Can I, I mean, I go, any, is there anything I can do? He said, no. Radical generosity. Because when money doesn't have a hold on you, you can give it away. So you don't even have to have a lot of money for it to have a hold on you. You just have to think you have to have a lot of money <laughs> for it to have a hold on you. He said, are your bills paid? I said, yeah. He's like, did you save money? Yes. Are you keeping me first? Yes. Do you have everything you need? Oh, yeah. Did I give you a better house than what you had? Yes. Did the insurance company pay for it? I said, most of it, you know. <laughs> and I'm just, God, I have it so good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being merciful to me and teaching me a lesson this way. What are those things in your life that God's putting his finger on that are keeping you from where you are? Because, you see, I had decided I have to live with a certain amount of anxiety until I got to a certain number, knowing full well that even if I get to that number, it won't lessen the anxiety one bit. I made a decision this year. I'm going to enjoy the life he's given me. I told my family. I went home that day, and you can fact check. I did go home and confess to Kendra. I said, I just, 
I feel so terrible. I just, conf- I just, blah, 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 blah. I said, I have been so attached to money and this and that and the other thing, and I'm so sorry, and, and, and please forgive me, and I need your help with this, and I'm driven this way, and I mean, she, she's just so gracious to me in that moment. I think she probably already knew this, but she's just like, you know, she was just so gentle to me in that moment, but I just, I want to be different. I made myself accountable because I want her to help me stop if I start going down that trail. But if I'm stuck in a place, maybe you're stuck in a place today too. And I hope maybe today you can start learning to put on your God focus. So take those glasses with you. You might throw them out, but put them somewhere. Put them somewhere just as a reminder to you when you get so, when you get in your gripe sessions and when you get intimidated, you feel like God wants you to step up and lead a ministry or step up and share your faith or step up your giving this year. You feel like it's a God pursuit in your heart. You feel like you're maybe being delusional. Put on your God focus and stop looking at things through your own lens and look at it through his. Change your life. Let me pray for you. Some of you might be ready to make a decision to follow Jesus with your life. You want to begin a relationship with God today. You want to be able to be the person that God says to you, like he said to Gideon, I'm with you. Let's go get him. But you know today or you're not sure if that's right. It's a decision I made a number of years ago and many of our people here have made, everybody on this worship team and our leadership team, we've made a decision to put God first. And really it just means that you have to believe in the depths of your heart. It's not just a formula. You have to be convinced in your heart that there is a God a God the Bible talks about, that he has a son named Jesus Christ. You have to believe that Jesus came to earth and took the form of a person and lived the sinless, perfect life you and I should have lived. He died on the cross, a death you and I really deserve to die. But he died there to pay a penalty that was rightfully ours, but not his. You have to accept that payment made to your account. You also have to believe that he rose from the dead, that he's not a a dead person buried somewhere, but that he's alive today, that he defeated death. You have to be willing to say to him, I surrender my life to you. Because if he's Lord, he can't be Lord and then have 75% leadership in your life. Our Lord has 100% leadership. We step out of the driver's seat and we let him sit in that seat. So I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. If that's a decision you'd like to make this morning, you can pray this right at your seat. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're God's son. I believe you came to earth, that you lived a sinless life, that you died on the cross in my place, that you rose from the dead, that you're alive for today. I believe you have hopes and plans for me. I believe I need to be saved. Thank you for forgiving me. I accept forgiveness for my sins today. I invite you to come and live inside of me. Help me to see like you see, hear like you hear, love like you love. You're my Lord. I'm ready to follow you. In your name I pray. Amen.